Hey, everybody. Welcome back to part two of our episode with trombonist Ernest Stewart. Just wanted to let you know if you are tuning in for the first time and you may have missed it, this is the second half of a conversation that we had with Ernest. You can find the first half of the conversation on the feed just below or just prior. I don't know how it's listed on your particular listening device, but you get the idea. So we hope you enjoy the second half of this conversation with Ernest Stewart. Welcome to the Musician-Centric Podcast. We are two freelance violists living and laughing our way through conversations that explore what it means to be a professional musician in today's world. I'm Steph. And I'm Liz. And we're so glad you've joined us. Let's dive in. Honestly, I (laughs) think you have to trick yourself sometimes into taking in new information, even if it's listening to music that you don't like, (laughs) that's new. I see people kind of get into their bag and I have friends that I went to high school with that drive around listening to the music that was popular when they were in high school. And it's like very comforting. You know all the words to the song and it's amazing, (laughs) you know, that there is now a station dedicated to music from the early 2000s. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's classic you know, rock now yeah yeah it's like Probably oldies now somehow classic yeah. rock yeah the oldies but, but, but I think that comfort is what kind of scares the hell out of me because I know I'm like it's so comfortable and it lures you in and you have to fight that urge sometimes and just sort of sit in a new area somewhere or, or else you start to lose your neuroplasticity and you just get you know I, I think it's yes. important to just keep learning and keep putting yourself in these sort of uncomfortable situations and grow in those situations yeah or or the wrong ones and listen <laughs> you can learn a lot from the wrong situations <laughs> <laughs> I can say you know what that's you true know what? in in any facet of life I can honestly say putting yourself in the wrong yeah. situation often teaches some big lessons well like, there's so much like you said Ernest the, like there's so much comfort seeking yes. in music and it's fine I have days like that too where all I want to mm. listen to is stuff that I already yeah. know if you're an artist though I think one of your biggest obligation duties in order to keep growing is to put yourself and listen to things that are not comfortable mm-hmm for you. And if they're not comfortable, you'd be like, okay, why is this not comfortable? And really like self-examination and letting yourself, just like in regular life, processing feelings, let yourself process that Mm. and sit in the discomfort of it and figure out why is this? Okay, then you might learn something new about what you like, what you don't like, where your growth areas are. And music listening, I think, can be like that too. And, you know, I I don't expect people to listen to anything I'm saying right now about this. (laughs) But the reality is that I feel like my taste it's like i can use spotify as a crutch or a tool and mm-hmm. i choose to use it as a tool that's fair to yep. to to, yep, to yep. broaden yep. that's cool yeah. you know i mean if you have all the music at your fingertips like who knows what's out there that you can connect with that has it's nothing crazy. to do with the stuff you grew up listening to and all like it could be completely yeah. it could be early blues or early country that's like folk music that you like an album that you, you stumble <laughs> across or you know or that you hear a snippet of it somewhere yeah. and you should 
Shazam it and download the album. And you're just like, this is incredible. I love doing stuff yeah. like that. I, like I do that all the time. And as a result, I get this really wide sort of recommendations from Spotify where they're not just sending me this one thing. They're sending me stuff from all over the place. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. I can do this myself is what you're saying. Well, I mean, it's, it's like if you don't think about it, then you kind of just fall into that thing or listening to music just for like your next gig and not really listening. Right to other things i'm really bad at going out to see concerts you know i'm terrible at that and i need to spend way more time going out to see concerts did you guys have a recital requirement <laughs> yeah, yes yeah you had to get it stamped or punched or whatever just go to all my yeah yeah of course <laughs> yeah but you don't realize what how meaningful that is. Yeah. How meaningful yeah. it is and how you yeah. wished like at this stage in my life, I had a recital requirement yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, like you're required once a month at yeah. least to go to a concert that you're not performing in yeah. just to yeah. broaden your horizons. And it could be anything. Yeah. Like it could no, be, 100%. You, could even, you could set this for yourself. <laughs> I'll make cards, cards and we'll, we'll distribute them. Recital requirements. Yes, recital requirements. I, I love challenges <laughs> like that. For yourself, like forcing yourself to do certain things to like grow in that way. Oh, yeah. it's, it's amazing. Yeah. When you can force yourself into that stuff, it's great. I have to remember that, you know, because I spent so much time in these casual listening environments, like going mm-hmm. to jazz clubs, jam sessions, like every stuff, single yeah. night. Yeah. You know, you forget that. Oh, right. If there's shows that happen in ticketed places and, you know, you have to sometimes pay a ticket to go in to see a show. And there's are a ton of artists that you love yeah. listening to. It's crazy to me that I've never been to a James Blake concert, oh. you know, and, and I love listening to, to James Blake. Yeah. But it's wild that I've like over the years since I first discovered him, like over 10 years ago, I haven't gone to a singer James Blake concert. So I'm definitely going to get to a point where I'm trying to rectify these Terrible errors of judgment that that I've 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 displayed. Growth areas, Ernest. Growth yes, areas. growth growth areas. Yes, growth areas. That's right. <laughs> That's the reframe. That's the reframe. Yeah. Located in a historic mansion in Tacoma Park, Maryland, you might get the impression that the team at Potter Violins are as formal as the breathtaking building that they work in. But when you go inside, instead you'll find the most relatable, skilled, and friendly staff. Yes, the people at Potter's are what really make it a special place. I love visiting because I know that whoever I work with is not going to make me feel like I'm crazy or just being picky. They're kind of like your favorite bartender. They're great listeners who give you what you need without judgment. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, their technicians are not only super talented, creative, and resourceful, they take the time to collaborate with you so that the process of getting your instrument at its best really feels like a partnership. So if you're in the area, definitely stop by and introduce yourself to Chris, Rob, Kimberly, Derek, Jim, Melissa, and the whole team, or visit potterviolins.com to find what you need online. It's so fitting then that their shop is in this beautiful old house because the staff at Potter's really makes it feel like home. So I want to ask you, this is a little bit of a pivot to the conversation related to jazz. But when you came to visit, it was like almost two years ago now. And we were talking about this little seed of an idea of a project you had that 
you know, I mean, I'm curious to know if you've developed that project idea at all, but also more importantly, like the theme behind the project idea, which was that you wanted to take all this media you'd been learning, photography, go into video and your knowledge of music and just start trying to figure out a way to document the lives and the legacies right. of jazz legends that right. we're losing over time here. And I just, I'm curious to know how that thought maybe has developed for you, or if you want to share with people your your thoughts about it to begin with, because yeah. I think it is actually yeah, yeah. really important. Well, during the pandemic, we lost a lot of incredible artists, older musicians, older jazz musicians that unfortunately during that time, we didn't have many opportunities to celebrate their lives after their lives were lost. And because there was just rules then, and we were locked down and we just couldn't. So it becomes someone's duty, I think, to begin to think critically about the field and what are we seeing out there? It's like, man, I used to spend hours on the phone with some of them and they would tell me all of these stories about growing up in Philly and with all of these other incredible jazz musicians. And we used to do jam sessions over McCoy Tyner's house or his mom had a hair salon and we used to do jam sessions on the second floor of the salon and all these different things, you know, these incredible stories. And they're not just like local jazz lore or history or Philadelphia heritage. It's like I'm just American heritage. And it's, oh, it's such a rich heritage. And these aren't the people who have gone on to be, you know, the Ella Fitzgeralds or the Dizzy Gillespie's. Those are a handful of jazz musicians in America. Jazz in America is propelled and has been propelled forward by all of these local heroes that inspire the next generation of that crop, that tight crop of younger artists who break through to a national level. And these are the people who, who hold all of the history, all of the knowledge of the music. And it's a shame, you know, when those people pass away, you, you lose all of it because they haven't been properly documented. And one of my ambitions is to find a way to document them, not just their stories, but their likeness, like photographs. And how, how can you do this in a way that makes sense? And how can this be something that is fundable? And, you know, it's funny. I, I've had a conversation with Wynton Marcellus about this. When I was applying for a position at Jazz at Lincoln Center, I made it all the way through the ranks of, of <laughs> interviews until I got to him. And he eventually told me that, no, nah, I, I don't, I wasn't going to get the job. You know, <laughs> what it, that? It was just like, no, nah, I get it. Like, that's the deep cut. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but we actually ended up talking on the phone for a long time about this topic. And we shared some thoughts back and forth. And I think I'm at the point now where I want to use this position that I'm in at Mid-Atlantic Arts to find a way possibly to fund initiatives, maybe start regionally and then grow beyond that, you know, create a new program that maybe we can use our resources to find funding for and hopefully kick off more of this sort of thing where we're capturing these stories. I mean, these, these people who are the architects of this music or who have performed mm -hmm. with the architects of this music or grew up with the architects of this music are in their mid to late 80s now. And yeah. I definitely feel like I have to do it, like this urgency. But I also recognize that, I, you know, you could just do it. And once you're already in the flow of doing it, then you can find the other programs and the funding and the things, whatever you need to, to do. But I also recognize that you also don't have many bites at the apple, so to speak. And 
oftentimes when you're working with these artists, you got one chance to kind of get in there and do it and record a conversation. So it's good to go in prepared and not just sort of rush in with, you know, like, all right, well, I don't know what's going to happen. How can you go in focused and knowing that I'm going to use this in several different ways? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think the most difficult part of it is finding a way to make it a living sort of document that isn't just for research or something or that's going to sit in an archive somewhere and that's it. There's a ton of those. There were different initiatives in the past where the jazz greats were documented and interviewed and all of that, but they're just sitting in archives. So what can you do? What can anyone do if they're interested in this to make this thing digestible and useful to the field, you know? To put fresh air into it so that it feels like something that, I don't know, the idea that something gets archived right away already seems like it's something that belongs in the past. But what I find most amazing about the differences between our disciplines is that, and I mean, there are, I think, many, many reasons for this that we don't really have time to go into. But in the classical music world, everyone's documented. Everyone's always being lifted up as the, this is the great pedagogue of our time. This is the great soloist. And there's ample information everywhere about people. But also in the world of jazz, like it's primarily this living art that happens in a club in a jam session that is never replicated again forever. Like, you know, Joshua Bell will go out and play his Mendelssohn and it sure it'll evolve over time as he gets older and and understands more about the music, whatever. But he's going to play the same piece over and over and over and over again for the rest of his life. Whereas these musicians, if they never get a recording contract and they never get proper recognition, for what they're doing. It's just this art that goes away. It's like such a temporary thing. And that is a challenge to document, I think, right. in a way that Assess- is accessible. accessible. Like, like like the, the accessibility aspect of it all is what really is important. Yeah. You know, why would someone who knows nothing about jazz interact with this thing? And that's really where the hard work has to come in. Mm-hmm. How can you make this accessible? So as my tenure at Mid-Atlantic Arts grows, I hope to be able to kick off something there. But I have gone out to record interviews and bought equipment just so that I can do it and start toying with different sort of functional ways of storytelling. Mm -hmm. I think ultimately the way you're going to get an audience is through storytelling and finding creative ways. You know what's great for that? Podcast. Podcasting. <laughs> I'm envisioning a series about jazz legends with like a This American Lifestyle right. production where you work in the the right. conversations, you play some right. of their music, you talk to people in their yeah, lives. Yeah, so and, that's what I would like to do. Yeah. More or less, hopefully short episodes as a place to start. When I yeah. began this process, my goal was to film and yeah. either film interviews, but then I began looking around at the different sort of ways that people are filming and it's like man you could be more narrative you could take like a more narrative focused approach to this so then i like came across this one great video about a local drummer here in new york older drummer and it was so artfully done and i reached out i just 
cold called or cold emailed the uh, director. It was it was for the New Yorker, and mm-hmm. I found who the director was, and I sent an email to him, you know, just asking him a bunch of questions, and I was like, man, can you get on the phone? And to my surprise, he said yes, and we got on the phone, and we just began talking uh-huh. about the art of storytelling and the different ways, and the way, much like what you just said, you know, he was like, I could see this being a podcast. Why go through the trouble of yeah. capturing this on video? The learning curve for podcasting is going to be much lower for you than video work, you know? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Hey, if, if we can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. If we can figure this but, out, but, but, <laughs> anybody can. <laughs> but but in, in that regard, there are a lot of great examples of podcasts. And I'm just like, man, why would I want to enter that space that is occupied by, by great podcasts that have been established, yeah. you know, like this podcast. But for me to come <laughs> from scratch and to say, okay, well, I'm just going to show up with this thing, and you know. But it's just a platform. It's just like anything else. To me, that's the same as asking, like, why release an album? All these other musicians release albums all the time. Like, you have something yeah. unique to say and can be found. And I also think it has been a jumping off point for something that then gets expanded based around the themes of that podcast, right? So, like, the concept of starting there and having the narrative and capturing people's attention in their cars or on the, their bus ride or whatever, and then growing to that point where you can then turn it into a film style thing where you get yeah. to get to see their faces yeah. and everything. Like that's my personal opinion about that. Because otherwise, we probably would not have started a podcast either. Yeah. Because by the time you start, you know, even just every once in a while, I'll talk to somebody out in the world who doesn't know that I do this. Just the other week, I was talking to somebody and they were like, oh, you know, back in the day, like before the pandemic, I think I was listening to a podcast for freelancers. And I was like, yeah, there's more than one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, even within the limited scope of podcasts for freelance musicians, yeah. we all speak differently. We all have different perspectives that we're yeah, sharing yeah, out yeah, there. So yeah, it's just adding another Voice. human element to the world of podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Now we've for given sure. you your pep talk. Now you can go do yeah. it. <laughs> now go do, do, go do the thing. Now you're... I'm sure you have a whole lot of extra time. Yeah. Actually, also, you have a friend who can you know, I can. Oh, well, there that. you go. Just yeah. Saying. I'm just saying. Listen, it's funny that you were talking about that sort of like kismet thing that happens and like the whole Red Barat thing was all 100% a function of kismet and like the universe conspiring. How did that come about? I I have to hear this story. So, okay, I guess I'll just leave you with this thing. <laughs> I left Temple and part of my plan when I decided to like refocus on music at Temple was to just keep going up to New York while I was at school. And maybe it'll pay off by the time I graduate. So I just kept going up to New York at the Vanguard. And every time I went, I would stay, I would hang, I would talk to everyone, I, you know, to the point where they all just knew my name. And right after I graduated from Temple, I got a call for my first gig in New York. It was a, a week long recording at the Blue Note. It was a live recording for Charles Tolliver. And it became the album Emperor March. So, you know, that was my very first gig in New York, like this week long stint. And I'm just like, wow. I need to move to New York. So I moved to New York. I didn't have any money. I somehow through, you know, like I found some Craigslist ads for sublets or whatever, and I figured it out. 
And I would kind of run out of money, then go back to Philly or whatever. And the last time I did that, I just got off the Chinatown bus back to Philadelphia from New York. And I'm walking past the Lowe's Hotel. And I see in a window, there was a piano player named Anthony Wanzi, who had just finished playing a show with Joanna Pascal. So I walk in and I was like, hey, man, how, how are you? all? This? You know, and... He asked me, you know, what I was up to. And I was like, oh, I just got back from New York. I'm looking for another apartment now. You know, otherwise I'm going to have to stay, you know, in Philly. And he was like, you know, a friend of mine was just telling me that she's looking for a roommate. Maybe I can connect you with her. It would be affordable. And she's a friend. And I was like, cool, connect us. And he did. And I ended up moving in to that apartment. And it was in Brooklyn and Park Slope. And, you know, it's just like I got that little extra lifeline to keep me in New York a little bit longer. Eventually, I kind of burn out because I'm going out every single night. Like I'm playing three, four jam sessions a night. I'm just going, you know, and I'm traveling everywhere, trying to find jam sessions, trying to find places to sit in, just doing it. Mm -hmm. And I finally get to the point where I'm like, okay, at the end of this week, I'm I'm leaving New York and I'm going to go move back to Philly and figure things out. You surrendered. You're like, I surrendered. Yeah, I just like, just like, I, I think I'm ready to go back, you know? <laughs> yeah. So my last gig in New York uh, was at this place called the Brooklyn Lyceum, which happened to be around the corner from where I was living. I leave my house to go tours to the show. And as I'm leaving my house and walking down the street... I passed this guy on his cell phone and he's like walking towards me. And, you know, I see him kind of rushing off the phone and he looks like he's about to approach me. And I'm like, oh, uh -huh. God, like <laughs> New York, you know, some New York <laughs> shit is about to happen. You know? And this guy's like, yo, man, you play trombone? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I play trom trom trombone. He was like, OK, cool. Uh, who do you play with? And, you know, we started talking. It's like a typical conversation you might have. Like people ask you about what's in your case all the yep, time. Yeah, sure. So the guy's like, yeah, well, you know, I have a band and maybe I can get you to come in and play with us one, one day. And I'm like, again, you hear that a million times, whatever. We exchange information and we just like go our separate ways. I go to my gig and I end up leaving New York. Like a year later, I get this Facebook message and it's that guy and he's like, Yo, man, uh, you remember me? We ran into each other on the street. Listen, I have a couple of dates that I could use a trombone player for. If you want to do them, let me know. And if it works out, you know, I have a couple more. And I go to Brooklyn to play these shows. And all of a sudden, I'm in this cat's band. You know, it was Red Barat. <laughs> but the wild thing about it is that that day that I was walking down the street with my trombone, he was on the phone with his trombone player who was telling him, that he just got a tour and he's not going to be able to make any more dates with the band. So he's getting this cook and up the street, walking directly towards him is it's a trombone player. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know the story either. Yeah. This is so good. It's a, it's a trombone player. And that, that, that's why when he sees me coming, he like hangs up the phone and he's like, <laughs> he's like, yo, man, you play trombone? <laughs> <laughs> he was lucky too. Yeah. And that began, a, like, I, I traveled the world with those guys. Like, I traveled the world with them. Mm. And it, it's just, if I left my apartment 
like three minutes later, yeah. I would have missed him. Unbelievable. You know, or yeah, you know I mean, if I would have walked on the other side of the street or like any other, any of these things is just one of these like very special, magical New York things that can happen. Totally. Synchronicity. And yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, like, I mean, everything just hinged on that one weird moment and interaction. And I'm all the better for it. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to me. I think I, Honestly, I just think like life flows like that. Yo, and it, yeah, for sure. I think it happens so much more than we even realize on a daily basis. We don't notice it most of the time. But every once in a while, you have these these moments where you're like, okay, I mean, that's unexplainable. Yeah. That's Absolutely. unexplainable. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. That's a crazy thing. Yeah. Amazing. That's such a great story. I'm glad we stayed and on, on that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this has been such a great conversation this has been amazing my friend yeah, thank you yeah, so yeah. much for joining yeah, us i'm so glad it's been great, great to meet to you yeah. yeah thank you so much for listening today if you loved this episode consider writing us a five-star review on apple podcasts amazon music spotify or wherever you listen thanks also to our season sponsor potter violins if you'd like to support the podcast and get access to bonus content consider joining our patreon community you can buy all your musician-centric merch including shirts water bottles koozies and a variety of other fun items our theme music was written and produced by jp wogeman and is performed by steph and myself our episodes are produced by liz o'hara and edited by emily mcmahon thanks again for listening let's talk soon mm-hmm.